When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Tennis Players Unite Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. All right, Ahmad Nassar, we do this all the time. At least I do. I put Eben on the spot, the guests on the spot. How'd you like is open? I think it's okay, right? I like that. That's pretty good. That was pretty good. Well, I, I, I would think as like the new leader of the, you know, the Pro Tennis Player Association, you're like, yeah, yeah, that was really great. You know, I really like it. I don't know. I think it lacked a little umph. This is the U.S. Open, Serena's farewell. You know, that, that was, to put it in the parlance of the sport, uh, I would say it was a let. He gets Ooh. another chance. I'm oh, going to give him another real. chance. Let, would you like another chance, sir? Uh, if I need to do it again, sure. Well, go for it. Let's, let me see. If you, if you had a second serve on the open and you, and you realized you needed some oomph, let's go. Let's hear it. Okay, hold on a second. Let me think about this. Think about it? Oh, my God. He, this is why he was never a great athlete. Of he, was a, <laughs> he was a lightweight football player at Princeton University. Okay, we can, we can go again if you want, Scott. We can go again. Oh, no, no. I'm just going to let you go. I'm, I'm not recording the whole thing. Go. Let's, let, <laughs> okay. let's hear okay. you. And I'm Evan Ovi Williams, and this is the... Changing forever the economics of tennis sports business podcast, the Sportacast. Ah, the guest can't see Ahmad, but he's got a big smile on his I face. I like it even better. I like right. it even better. All right. Today's guest, Ahmad Nassar, longtime friend of the program. Ahmad, so you got a new gig. How, if somebody says to you, what do you do? All right, you're at a cocktail party. What do you do? You, you say what? I work with groups of athletes and I've spent my career working with different groups of athletes. And as of Last week, I'm very fortunate to be working with a new group of athletes uh, in men's and women's tennis players. And then, uh, of course, I'm, I'm going to play the whole dinner party thing. Let's keep it working. Oh, yeah? Who's your favorite player? Who do you, who, who's the best player you've worked with? Uh, in any sport? In any sport. Oh, my God. That's like asking what your, who your favorite child is Brutal. or who, you know, if you have multiple pets. I, I, get, I get it all the time. I get, oh, who, who, who's I don't, the biggest I don't root. I don't root for any teams or any particular players. I, don't, I just don't want them to get hurt. Um, yeah, you, you can, uh, you can imagine my answers on that. Uh, all right. Well, you know what my answer was, and I'm going to say it here. It's fine. Cause years ago I used to cover the U S open. And if you know anything about, you know, Flushing Meadow, 
they like the late night matches. It's the big event in New York. So people would say to me on a, what it was a, a Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever it was, I didn't care. They'd say, who are you rooting for? And I would always say, whoever wins the first set. I, I, I know I from exactly a fan's, what you mean. Yeah. I, from a fan's perspective, you want five sets. You want drama. You want 3 a.m. I don't want that. <laughs> I was very tired. I wanted to go home. But no, but seriously, Ahmad, tell us. I mean, we know for a couple of years, the PTPA is a couple of years old, but a lot has not been done. So you come into this now. It's, it's an organization that represents tennis players. I'm going to use a metaphorical four-letter word, union, even though it's not. It's like a trade association. And also a for-profit. I said, I said, metaf- I said metaphorical four-letter word. You might want to count those letters again. My yeah. God, it's nobody. <laughs> if, I, if I want people to ignore me, I'll go talk to my son. I mean, I, jeez. I, but so, so you, there is that sort of it, representing players and things like uh, health and safety and, and you know, finance. There is that stuff. But there's also the for-profit arm. You're so new to this. What do you say to the players? What was your message early on? So, you know, just to the point you started with about the union being um, a couple years old, and, and it's not technically a union. I mean, from from an outside perspective, it'll look and feel and function quite like a union, but it is technically a trade association, um, a 501c6. It's still a nonprofit um, advocacy group advocating on behalf of professional uh, men's and women's tennis players. Um, it is a couple of years old, and it hasn't gotten a ton of traction. And there's a lot of reasons for that. COVID, uh, not being able to have funding and not having a, a full-time staff um, uh, and, and being able to um, have the right people in the right positions. Um, and, you know, I think we've set this up now and we've learned from those um, uh, difficulties. Um, we've set this up now uh, on a path for success for a long time. Um, we've got funding for several years. Um, we've got a plan and a playbook. Um, and we're going to learn from a lot of these other unions. And, and, you know, I think businesses, organizations are a lot like people and, and babies. And so when you're two years old, you don't know how to do a lot of stuff. You make a lot of messes. Somebody is there usually hopefully to clean them up. And so that's how, and I said this when we started one team, I said it when I joined um, the NFLPA and we started doing some new things, um, many of which you guys um, have covered over the years. And it was always the same, like, hey, look, we're, we're as a business, we're in our diapers. We're going to make a mess. And, you know, people should just be uh, patient with us, with me. Um, and, you know, when you look at these other players associations in basketball and football and baseball and hockey, I mean, they're literally multi-decade old, distinguished, um, uh, older. Uh, hey, they make messes, too, though. They, but they do. They, too, make messes. That's true. But they have an institution that they've now built and they've got lots of people on board. They have these histories that are rich with a lot of different traditions. Um, They've been able to watch their sports evolve over decades and things like free agency more recently or most recently sports betting coming into the fold and how that impacts. And we have none of that really in tennis. I mean, we have a really interesting and and truly unique history in tennis um, as, as it relates to the players and how things like the ATP and the WTA got started, um, and what they've now become, and and so I'm I'm really just excited to be able to do that. Um, and so you know I think when we think about where we are now, it's it's a really interesting, intriguing point because 
we are a couple of years old. We know what we're trying to do and trying to accomplish. The players certainly want it. Um, and one of the things we talked about at our player meeting last week was just look at the, looking at the variety of issues this year alone that have confronted the sport of tennis, starting with the Australian Open and what happened with COVID um, and, and vaccination status back in the beginning of the year, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And, and I think no sport um, had to deal with that uh, the way tennis had to deal with that. So Wimbledon banning Russian and Belarusian players, the ATP and the WTA reacting negatively, negatively to that and stripping rankings points. Even the fact, I mean, I was explaining this to somebody who doesn't follow tennis. They said, well, how, how could Wimbledon and the ATP and the WTA not agree on that, right? How is that even possible? Because in the NFL, right, or, or in the MLB or the NBA, if, if something happens and uh, there's a decision that is made, there, there's, there's an appeals process, sure. But like, the decision is the decision. You would never find the Cowboys doing something uh, unilaterally and then the NFL being able to... Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you want to reconsider that? <laughs> I would, the one team... Chicago Bears. The one team you could not have picked with that statement was the, was the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> but you, you, you don't have the, the governance structure uh, in tennis that you have in other sports, for better or for worse. And I, I think that there are pluses and minuses because of that. Um, and so the one thing that has been missing over the years, um, particularly this year, uh, was a strong independent player voice, the way you have in pretty much every other sport, uh, including individual sports. Um, and, and so, you know, U.S. sports tend to center, other than golf and tennis, on the team sports. And those are where those multi-decade institutions uh, as unions have existed primarily on the team sports side, but there's really no reason. And in fact, tennis, especially, I mean, it's an isolating sport. It's a very lonely sport other than playing doubles. And, and it, it, you know, unlike golf, you're not playing a course, right? The three of us go golfing. We're playing against the course, even though we're trying to score the lowest amongst us in tennis. I'm looking at you across the net, every single point. And it's very much, you know, who you're playing against. And that doesn't mean that off the court, the players shouldn't have a united front. Ahmad, I, I think a lot of people think of professional athletes and they just assume they're well off, that they get paid a lot of money, they have all of their housing, they have their travel accommodations comped. Uh, that's obviously very much not true in tennis. If you could give us a walkthrough outside of, let's say, the top 50 to 70 men and women who, who obviously are making a lot of money and they're, they're very talented and very successful. What are the economics like for a rank and file tennis player? Let's say Vasek Pospisil, one of the co-founders of the PTPA, right? Who, who's, who's ranked around 130th, I think in the world in singles right now, if you could just explain just how the economics are different from the way we think about NFL players, for example. Yeah. I mean, the biggest difference is there's no minimum, right? So there's, there is no safety net. Um, in tennis and other sports are like that as well, although you've seen and covered some of the recent um, drastic changes that, that are happening in golf. And one of the things that was talked about is, is putting a floor on, um, on what golfers can make in any given year. And so the result of that is it's very, very hard to count on being able to make a living playing tennis. And it is, um, you know, I used the word lonely and isolate or the words lonely and isolating earlier. The financial aspect of it makes it even harder. And, and so you don't have a minimum. Um, and as a result, you're also an independent contractor. So unlike all those players in team sports that have 
multiple coaches, that have position coaches, that have trainers and physical therapists and team doctors. You are paying for all of that essentially. And so when you decide to play here in New York at the US Open and you're traveling from Italy, for example, you are flying your coach if you have one. Many players don't because it's not economically worth it. Um, you are flying, if you have a particular physio, you're flying him or her. Um, you're putting them up in a hotel and you might get a discounted rate on a hotel, but um, you're not getting free rooms for them. You have a free room as long as you're in the tournament, um, but you're not, you, you don't have extra rooms per se. Um, and, and so that, really adds up. And if you happen to lose, and we're talking about um, the U.S. Open because we're sitting here um, in, in, you know, during the U.S. Open, and the minimum is $80,000, right? Even if you play, um, if you make the main draw and you, you play and lose in the first round, you get $80,000, which sounds pretty phenomenal for one match. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the numbers vary slightly um, across Wimbledon, the French Open, the Australian Open, um, but those are four tournaments a year. Pretty hard to qualify for those tournaments. Um, and that's it, right? Because then you go on and there's every week, you know, during the season, um, multiple tournaments um, that you could play in, that you could choose to play in. And so you have to weigh the costs of travel, maybe closer to home, maybe further away. Um, who do you bring to each of those tournaments? Um, any training costs? Vashik, you brought up. Um, who, who has taught me an incredible amount over the last several months about really the side of the sport that you don't see. And so Vashik had climbed, you know, you mentioned he's, you know, under a hundred now ranking wise, he had been in the, in, you know, I think the, the high twenties, um, at, uh, you know, at some point, uh, over the last few years at, at, at his peak and, you know, he, he got injured. And so that whole, you know, explaining that story of having to, find the right doctor and talk to multiple doctors and then paying for some of the rehab and some of the medical expenses and just having to deal with that. And then meanwhile, you know, the way tennis is rolling rankings work, if you don't play, you drift and sink like a stone, right? I mean, it just, that's how it works. And so then you have to build your ranking back up. And so all of that takes time and you are literally getting zeros. You, you are not getting a paycheck. It is not like an NFL player or an MLB player or an NBA player who is injured and on an injured list or something like that, disabled list, and they are still getting paid, right? There's nothing like that. There's no salary component to it. And so that, that makes the economics of the sport really, really tough um, outside of really the consistent top 25 on the men's women's side. And because you might, you might crack that top 50, but, but depending, you may not stay there. And um, I think that has all sorts of repercussions that, you know, I think have probably not been um, really fully considered or appreciated about, you know, how do you attract more players to the sport at every level, right? Um, and I think that's particularly, um, you know, an interesting issue in the US. Um, and and it's, it's just, there's, there are things that I would argue are you know, obviously I'm on the side of the players and, and that's, that's where I've always been. Um, and so I'm obviously going to say, yeah, players should make more money, but I think it helps the sport actually, if, if we could, we could stabilize that aspect of it and it's not zero sum, right? It doesn't mean the top players should take less. It doesn't mean that the tournaments should take less because one of the things we talked about 
with the players last week is you have a sport that globally has more viewers than NFL football and MLB baseball, and yet 10% of the revenues. So there's a lot of room to grow. And so to me, that's really where my focus is, is how do we get that? I don't think it'll be a hundred cents of what baseball and football make anytime soon. Yeah, Ahmad, will you model, will you model it after the unions? Because let's just take the NBA, for example, they go through collective bargaining and the players say, or at least it, it, it nets out where they get 50% of what's called BRI, basketball related income. Is that you just said, you know, make like 10% of what these others pu- pull in. Will you model and say, hey, whatever we can make, we want half the pie for the players. I mean, look, that's a logical starting point. I may borrow it. Oh, good, good. Well, we're chatting with Ahmad Nassar, and this is a double business card here. Executive Director of the PTPA, the Professional Tennis Players Association, also the CEO of the Winners Alliance, which is the for-profit entity as part of this. So how are you going to make the money? And by the way, you know how my brain works, Ahmad. It's scattered. I still want to get to Bill Ackman. I, I still want to get to, you brought up golf. Like, Is tennis susceptible to uh, a sovereign wealth fund coming in saying, we'll play the stars a ton of money. You don't have to go you know, kill yourself on the court. But at first, when I, 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 let, let's focus us on this for-profit entity, the, the Winners Alliance. I, I think group licensing right away. I think stars, and you can p- pile with everybody. But tell me, how, how do you go about this? How do you think you're going to make some money? Yeah, you got it. I mean, that, that, it, it is group player rights, group player licensing. Um, as far as I know, for the first time ever in an individual sport. So think video games, trading cards, um, gamified NFTs, a lot of the products that you know and love and have covered in other sports that don't exist um, across a broad spectrum of players in tennis and don't exist as annualized products um, when, again, going back to that point about the number of fans of tennis globally, they really should exist. Um, and, and so how do, we, how do we bring that and those opportunities? Again, that whole phrase of growing the pie, here's a really easy and it's not easy but it's it's incremental opportunities and by the way that's a base right tom brady gets the same number um for madden as every other player that's in that game from a royalty standpoint but when he's on the cover of the game for ea he makes an incremental marketing you know an endorsement deal dollar amount that he keeps entirely and if that game though the base game that everybody's paid an equal share royalty on doesn't exist then that incremental opportunity, which ends up for, for Tom Brady being much, much more material than the base equal share royalty, it doesn't exist, right? And if you think about trading cards, another area that, that you know, we, we spent um, the better part of the last two years really reinventing um, with our friends at Fanatics and, and that whole um, uh, evolution or revolution in the trading card space, you have a piece of cardboard that but for the image of the athlete that's on it is literally worthless. Right. I mean, it's a piece of cardboard. There's nothing, at least EA, you know, they have the artists, they're making a game, there's mechanics, there's coding, there's all sorts of things that have to go in it. And then having the players actually in the game makes it that much better. Trading cards, it's literally a piece of paper. And, and if that piece of cardboard has a player's not just image, but autograph on it and ooh, a piece of their jersey or a piece, right? I mean, it's, it's that much more valuable. We're sitting here talking about trading cards a day or two after that. Uh, All right, I'm going to give you an idea, Ahmad. Not that you're not a smart guy, can't come up with it yourself. But I'm th- what I'm seeing here 
is you're going to take the strings out of the racket and the grip out of the racket after you win the U.S. Open, cut it into the tiniest of pieces, and that trading card will come with a little piece of gut string that was actually part of the racket at the U.S. Open or Wimbledon, whatever it may be. There you go. I mean, right? These are the Pretty kinds much. of discussions. There we go. Thank you. We're going to put, we're going to put you in the uh, equal share pool, Scott. <laughs> I'll get my usual commission of zero. Um, Ahmad, you've mentioned a few times last week in your kind of introduction to a lot of these tennis players, as, as people filtered in for the U.S. Open, you and Bill Ackman, one of your backers, sat in front of a, a group of 40-plus of tennis players and explained your vision and then took questions. I'm fascinated what the Q&A was like. You know, because you've sat in front of groups of athletes before, sometimes there's a big disconnect between what the business people are thinking and, and, and what actually is in the mind of athletes who are doing this day-to-day. What did you learn from that process? What kind of questions? What is the mindset of a professional tennis player right now as they begin to learn more and more about the PTPA? So I think um, athletes in general are, um, you know, some of the uh, smartest, and I'm using that word broadly. I'm not talking about going to Harvard or Yale, Um, but there's some of the smartest people or populations of people you'll ever meet. And they're used to people like me standing in front of them in, you know, a suit and God forbid a suit and tie. I wasn't wearing a tie Um, and telling them all these things are going to do for them. Right. And then maybe they see that person again. Maybe they don't. Usually that person doesn't deliver anything that they said. And then they go do something else. Maybe they get promoted. Um, They just, that person rarely benefits them. And so um, being able to, and so that doesn't mean they're distrusting. It's just, you, you know, they're professional athletes. You got to, you can say whatever you want to say. You got to prove it just like they do. I mean, that's their day job. And so um, that's in general. And I was struck um, by how earnest the group is, how, how um, hungry they are for change. I mean, these are people who we mentioned at the beginning of this conversation have been, you know, waiting for a couple of years now, right? They were there when this thing launched at the US Open two years ago. They have been hearing about a lot of these issues long before the PTPA existed, was created because they're living these issues. And so they're hungry for change, but they were really also thankful, right? Thankful that um, somebody like Bill Ackman um, was willing to put up capital and not just capital, but capital from his foundation. and that um, that I was um, not only willing, but like excited and eager to take on the job, and that that actually shocked me, right? Because like you, you, we in the business, you get compensated, and if you deliver, you, you get compensated and you get promoted, and and so that's sort of like you know that's your thank you, right? Like that's you did your job, good job, um, and to actually have people sitting there and and like I had a. 15 minute presentation max. Um, Bill did a little intro for like five minutes max. And, you know, we were thinking, well, you know, the, the last thing these folks want to do is like sit in a room and like hear from us. And then we left some time for Q and a thinking, yeah, five, 10 minutes, an hour and 30 minutes of Q and a. And, and it wasn't, you know, I've been parts of Q and a where it's hostile <laughs> and, and skeptical and jaded. It was none of that. It was really, um, nuts and bolts and how do we do this? And these are some issues and these are some ideas. And to me, that is the most critical component 
of any players association. Me, and that was part of the message to them is that this is your organization. We are building it for you. Is that lack of skepticism, is that born of a place that there's nowhere to go from up uh, but up here? They really haven't had this representation. There's absolutely a bit of that of we, um, you know, they, we collectively feel there is only room to grow from here. Who paid for dinner? We did. The PTPA paid for dinner. All right. Well, that, that's, well, that, that, that. <laughs> I guess technically Winner's Alliance paid for dinner. Well, that's one good way to get on the good side of the players. Make sure you feed them and don't ask them for money. Good, good start. That's a very good start right there. I mean, you joke, but that's a really important, like one of the things, you know, we did this at the NFLPA. We didn't run the organization based off of member dues, right? We're not going to run around the country and, and hunt down NFL players so that we can pay the salaries of the hundred or so people who work at the organization. Um, and that, that's sort of a model. And by the way, all the players associations, the big ones do that. That, that, that was the model, you know, when I first started talking to the group and giving them some free advice a few months ago. I said, that's the model. That's the model you need. And if you don't have any revenues yet because these things don't exist, that's okay. We know a little something about those products and what they generate and, and how that should work. And so what you really need to do is like show that we're serious. Let's get some money in the bank and have funding for several years and go build it. I mean, that's, that's what we should do. And that's what I like doing. You mentioned a while ago, earlier in the interview here, live golf, what's happening in professional golf right now. I imagine that's on the mind of tennis players right now. I imagine you get asked about it a lot. How much are, are people in the tennis world, be they executives and governing bodies all the way through players thinking about what's happening in professional golf, thinking about how they can insulate their business from, from that happening in tennis. I'm curious how much live golf comes up in your, it comes up in your day-to-day life. I saw what you did there. Scott actually brought up uh, the live tour. And then you said, I brought it up to ask me about it. You shook your head in the affirmative, which is the (laughs) same as you bringing it up. Um, No, it comes up a lot. And, and frankly, it should. I mean, I think every sport should be thinking about, and by the way, I mean, is this, is this unique to sports? Every business, right? I mean, I, I was talking to Scott um, when Sportico was created, and we talked a lot about disruption and innovation and creating new things. And people, there's a lot of pe- people talk about money and investment capital as a commodity. And so what's, what's really the limiting factor are new, unique ideas that add value and create value for the people who invest in them, right? That's what everybody's looking for. So that's not unique to sports. That That's just business, right? And so I think what Liv has done, and, and by the way, the PGA response to what Liv has done, because I look at it from the outside and say, well, whether I'm Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods and I'm stuck with um, the PGA or I'm Phil Mickelson uh, or any of the other players who have joined the Liv Tour, I now am playing for more money than I was six months ago, right? And I'm glossing over the division and, and just the longer-term issues. There's, there's, there's clearly some of that, um, that that is completely unresolved right now. But just from that narrow vantage of money, and then you broaden that out slightly. Oh, hey, these, cut, these events that have cuts like every single week, that's, that's a, not a great dynamic from a player. Oh, okay, we'll have no cut events. Uh, you know, how we deal with caddies, how we deal with travel, how we suddenly all of this innovation is happening in golf, right? And you could say belatedly, you could say it's only in response to an existential threat. And, and all of that's probably true, but it doesn't change the underlying fact. And so 
what I take from that is, well, everybody should look at that, right? I mean, I don't think the NBA is at risk of somebody coming and starting a new basketball league. That No, but you know what, Ahmad? That, if I, I want to jump in, you know what, though? I will say there, there is a certain IQ and, and, and a good quotient here. When you're superstars, and everybody knows sports is built on superstars. Yes, you need the rank and file. We know that. But the stars matter. When Michael Jordan used to show up at collective bargaining, the owners had a different tenor. That, that, that's for sure. So when LeBron James has a concern about back-to-backs or whatever it may be, how smart is it of Adam Silver to say, LeBron, come on in. Let's sit down and talk about it. I want to hear your concerns. Not only, not only listen, but hear. Or is it not only here, but listen, whatever, either way, uh, you, you, I, I get the sense that the PGA tour perhaps didn't hear or listen. Um, and, and, and you better do it. Yeah. And that, that to me kind of, you, you used a couple words earlier, um, that, that I think kind of highlight that because I think the NBA, um, and, and they've worked very well with the NBPA, right. And, and the new executive director there, Tamika, um, Tramalio, who, who, who has been phenomenal. Um, and to, to together innovate, right? And that word innovate has a very positive connotation, but that word disrupt when you're the incumbent has a negative connotation, right? But they're actually pretty similar. And so you can either innovate from within or be disrupted from outside and, and, and specific to tennis. And I, I'm honestly not making any kind of um, value assessments here. I just think the way the sport is set up and the, 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 the top players being um, as few in number as they are and the court size being what it is and um, all of these dynamics make it even more of make, – make that external disruption even more of a threat. Because if you think about it, how hard would it be to do something like that? And I think it, it would be hard. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of dynamics that that are in play, but I would say it's probably less difficult than golf, right? I mean, you got 18 holes in golf, you got golf courses, you got a lot of things at play, you got a field of people that you got to make interesting. Tennis, you get you know eight to twelve of the right people, people are going to tune in for that. The fans are going to tune in for that, and so you know, I I was quoted last week when we launched as saying, and I told the players this. You know, the PTPA is not trying to be the live tour of tennis, right? That, that's not our role. We represent all the players. And so, the, the, you know, I mentioned the positive impact um, of, of live on what the PGA has done. You know, one of the negative impacts is the players are fractured now, right? There are at least two different camps in, in the golf world now. And, and, the challenge, and they don't have a real PA uh, or GA in, in golf. They have a PGA, but not a real GA, right? The way... Um, that is like an independent organization that only represents the players or the athletes. And, and so I don't think any PA should be sitting there trying to divide players, but how do we spur the innovation, you know, staying on that positive side of the coin? And I think what Liv has done um, for all sports, not just golf, is essentially throw down a gauntlet and say, hey, is there a better way to do some of these things and that lean into what you said, Scott, about, well, players have been complaining about cuts and a lot of these issues, um, not just money. I mean, everybody would love to take more, make more money and be able to play for more money. Um, but some of these other issues for years and 
you know, here we are. And, and, and it took an external disruptive force to to make that um, point really, really starkly. But but to be clear, Live Golf is, is a as a business is not something that needs to make money in some ways, right? Like the the external forces here are someone willing, it seems like someone willing to lose a lot of money to put this thing together. It, it feels a little bit different when the when I imagine it feels different for the PGA Tour if they're being disrupted by someone that does not have the same mm-hmm. business requirements that they themselves have in some ways, right? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard that. And, and I think it's true if you take it as a snapshot, right? They're not going to make money this year. I think eventually they're going to need to make money. And they've certainly said that, right? And, and, and to be self-sustaining. Um, but I mean, look, the, the Live Tour didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, people have been talking about it for a while. I, I don't think it was taken seriously until it launched. And, and so the backers were not a mystery. The, the motivations of the backers were not a mystery. Um, you know, the people involved at an organizational level, Greg Norman and, 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 and around him were not a mystery. It just was not taken seriously and, and assumed, hoped, you know, both that, that it would not get liftoff. It's good to know your history. Greg tried to do this like 40 years ago with, with Rupert Murdoch. No, it did not come to fruition, but you know, if, if, you, you know, if you do not know your history, you are doomed to repeat it. Now, I got to go back to one last thing here, Ahmad. I mean, you, you, this is one of our longer pods. It's been so fun. But let me get this straight. You have a large group of athletes who you say are among the smartest, right? You know, like Athletes in general, very smart, great. They obviously have a thirst for sports, business, news, and information, that's good. We provide sports business news and information. And oh, no. much like you sell group license, I'm, I'm thinking here uh, <laughs> about a, a, a site license for the PTPA. I mean, should Roger Federer et al. not be reading Sportico on a daily basis? That's my question to you, Ahmad Nassar. <laughs> we'll end with the hardest question of the day. Um, no, they should absolutely be reading, uh, reading that. Um, as, as should all of us, not just professional athletes. Scott. There you go. All right. That's like just an email away to Bill Ackman. I think he reads yeah, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> just, a little, just a little. Bill reads just a little bit. We love it. All right. Ahmad Nassar. Do I have to do the whole thing again? Executive Director of the PTPA Pro Tennis Players Association and the CEO of the Winners Alliance, the for-profit arm of that umbrella organization. Whew, I need a breath. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. Uh, and good luck. I'm, I'm excited for you in the, new, in the new gig. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ahmad. Great conversation, Eben. You know, we've known Ahmad for, for quite some time. We've seen his work in growing you know, Players, Inc. and one team. Uh, there is a big push now with group license, with player data, um, trading cards, video games. He mentioned it all. Uh, I'm just interested to see how he brings sort of this disparate interests. It's such a high-level, top-star-driven thing in tennis uh, to bring it all together, you know, wrap your arms around it. Curious to see how it goes. Real quick, I could have sworn that he mentioned Live Golf first. We're going to need to check the, uh, check the tape on no, that. No, he didn't mention... <laughs> he mentioned what's going on in golf. So yeah, I, if by, if by that you I mean meant. he yeah. mentioned Live, then I'm on your side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By that's referencing the happenings in golf <laughs> without saying Live, Yes, he certainly. Yes, did. but but you're right. I mean, this is a this is an industry that is ripe for disruption or innovation. However, you want to <laughs> cut it, cut and paste those two 
two terms. Uh, the tennis world as a mod detailed there, it's so fragmented right now. You have the ITF, you have national governing bodies like the USTA, you have the WT, you have the WTA tour, the ATP tour. There's so many different languages that are spoken. This is going to be a hard lift for all of those reasons. There's a lot of people to talk to across the table from. There's a lot of players with their own motivations, their own languages, their own beliefs that you're going to have to kind of corral in some ways. But if Ahmad and, and Bill Ackman and Novak Djokovic and Vasek Pospisil, if they can all put this together, yeah, I think I think Ahmad made a really good case for the fact that that players right now one, or, or maybe not making the, the percentage of revenue that they maybe should, and two, that maybe the sport as a whole is not bringing in the revenue that it should. And sure, a better relationship with its players could, could, could certainly be something that achieves both those goals. All right. He is Evan Novi Williams on the Twitter, Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. Thank you very much. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.